0: When we read the Christian scriptures, we believe we're doing more than simply studying an ancient text. We believe God actually speaks to us now through these words. So let's take a moment of silence to clear our minds and quiet our hearts so we can listen to God's word together. Hear these words from Joel chapter 2. Verses 1 through 2 and 12 through 17. Blow the horn in Zion. Give a shout on my holy mountain. Let all the people of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and no light. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness spread out upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Unlike any that has ever come before them or will come after them in centuries ahead. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your hearts, with fasting, with weeping, and with sorrow. Tear your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, very patient, full of faithful love, and ready to forgive. Who knows whether he will have a change of heart and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the horn in Zion, demand a fast, request a special assembly, gather the people, prepare a holy meeting, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the groom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the porch and the altar, let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep. Let them say, have mercy, Lord, on your people. And don't make your inheritance a disgrace, an example of failure among the nations. Why should say? Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Talia. Um, about six years ago, Haley and I took a road trip to Yellowstone National Park, um, and I was really excited because I'm a big tree guy. I love trees, uh, and so as we entered the park through the south entrance. Uh, I was struck by the sparse forests, the youngish-looking trees that filled the landscape. You see, I'd come to Yellowstone expecting to see towering lodgepole pines. These pines can grow 150 feet tall. And if you've been to Yellowstone, their presence is felt throughout the park. You can't miss these tall, skinny pines crowned with tufts of yellow and green pine needles and waxy pine cones no bigger than the palm of your hand. Instead of full-grown adult lodgepole pines, the pines that I saw were much younger. pines that we saw as we entered the park were only about 15 or 20 years old and measured only like 20 or 25 feet from the forest floor. You see, as we entered the park, we were driving through the burn scar of one of the largest wildfires to ever burn through Yellowstone. In the summer and fall of 1988, wildfires caused by lightning burned through 1.2 million acres of the greater Yellowstone area. The worst day of the fire came in mid-August, a day known as Black Saturday. High winds, and low humidity accelerated the fires And on that day alone, more than 150,000 acres burned, almost doubling the size of the fire. The fire left no part of the national park or the surrounding area untouched. And the nation's entire focus that summer was on these fires. Images like these on the screen behind me, images like these were broadcast to the whole country. About 25,000 firefighters were brought to the park to fight the fire. But it wasn't enough. The fire raged through the park. Millions of trees were burned. Numerous animals died. Millions of acres of wilderness were charred and destroyed beyond recognition. The once towering lodgepole pines had turned to ash. Where beauty once blossomed, devastation and despair now dominated. Where there had been life, there was now death. And even today, some 30 years later, the landscape of Yellowstone still reminds visitors of the devastation of those fires. The stunted forests serve as a reminder of the destruction and the death of those fires. The Christian life is full of reminders. Churches all over the world, churches including Corona and and Nova, follow what we call the church calendar. Perhaps you're familiar with some of the seasons and some of the days of the church calendar. The season of Advent, the day of Pentecost, Easter. These are all significant days and significant seasons on the church calendar. And tonight, we mark another season of the church calendar. Ash Wednesday begins the season of Lent. The 40 days that precede Easter. And the history of how Christians began to observe Ash Wednesday and Lent is a little unclear. In the first decades and centuries after the life of Jesus, we have examples of how new believers observed one or two-day fasts in the lead-up to Easter. And eventually, those days of preparation and fasting were extended. A few days turned into a week. A few weeks turned into several weeks. And around the year of AD 600, the start of Lent, was formally moved to a Wednesday, the day we call Ash Wednesday. And since then, on Ash Wednesday, Christians worldwide have begun the journey toward Easter through the season of Lent. The season of Lent came to be known as a season of preparation and repentance. It became a season for believers to renew their commitment to God, to Jesus. It became a season for followers of Jesus to repent of the ways that they had failed to love God and love others. Most notably, Lent is associated with the practice of fasting, um, the practice of giving something up. Perhaps you've observed Lent in the past. Um, Perhaps you've given up sweets or meat or alcohol or certain entertainment. Or perhaps you're holier than me and you've given up coffee for Lent. In giving up something for Lent, there's the sense that we remove the distractions, the the good distractions, the good things, so that we can better focus on our relationship with Jesus. In a way, Lent is a journey toward Easter, and tonight we join with Christians from around the world to begin that journey by observing Ash Wednesday. And if you're new to an Ash Wednesday service, frankly, tonight is, is quite simple. In a few moments each of us will come forth and be marked on our forehead with ash. This strange practice, one of having a little ash smudged on our forehead, is profoundly significant and poignant and appropriate as we begin our journey of Lent. Being marked with ashes reminds us of the core experiences of humanity. Ashes are significant for two reasons. First, in the Bible, in the Christian scriptures, ashes were used as a sign of repentance and mourning for the people of God. The Hebrew prophet Jeremiah encouraged his people to, quote, put on funeral clothes and roll in ashes because of the impending destruction of Jerusalem. The mysterious individual named Job found comfort in dust and ashes after having his possessions and nearly his life taken away. There's been this deep connection for the people of God between ashes and an attitude of repentance and mourning. But there's also a second reason on this day, of all days, that we are marked with ashes. Ashes remind us of our humanness. Ashes remind us of our fragility. Ashes point back to the first pages of the Christian scriptures when God says to Adam and Eve, dust you are, and dust you shall return. Ashes remind us of the presence of death. In some small way tonight, with ashes on our forehead, we are invited to reflect on death, and the ways that death has become such a part of the human experience. For each of us in this room, the sting of death has seared our souls in so many ways. Every one of us in this room has been profoundly and irreversibly affected by death. The death of a friendship that was once flourishing but now has gone cold. The death of our hopes and dreams. Some of us thought we were going to live lives one way, and now those hopes and dreams have been dashed. And of course, The death of loved ones. We've cried, we've grieved, we've suffered over the loss of a child, the passing of a dear friend, or the death of a parent. Thirteen months ago this week, I preached the homily at the funeral of my father. I held his hand as he died in the hospital after a battle with illness there hasn't been a week that's gone by since when i haven't felt the sear of grief and the pain of sadness the scars of death mark us all and our culture tries really really hard our culture tries really really hard to push away thoughts of death and forget about the presence of death i mean there are easy examples that demonstrate this fact medical science and the cosmetic industry have made it relatively easy for us to ignore the creep of death. And even in our busyness of our day-to-day lives, our consumerism, our addictions, our distractions, our individualism, these things have made it so that we can be distracted from death. They give us the illusion that our lives are ours to live and that our lives are all our own. And yet, to deny death is also to deny our need for God. To reflect on death is also to admit the cause of death. Death is a foreign intrusion into the good world that God has created. Death has entered this world because of the ways we have sinned, the ways we fail to love God and love others. In the words of the Apostle Paul, this first-century leader of the Christian Church, death is an enemy to be destroyed. And today, on Ash Wednesday, we respond to our all-too-natural fears about death. But we do so in an unexpected way. The ashes that mark our foreheads as we leave this building tonight serve as the visible reminder of our mortality and our need for forgiveness. And that's the truth of Ash Wednesday. We are dust, and life is so, so fragile. And yet, as morbid as it sounds, there's a gift to be had in focusing on death. It's been said that on Ash Wednesday, Christians attend their own funerals. Focusing on death gives us the opportunity to pay attention and reflect on how we live. It's a sobering reminder but Ash Wednesday invites us to pay attention and consider our lives here and now. The uh, early 20th century poet Rainer Maria Rilke touched on this idea of paying attention to death. In this book of poverty, in this book of poetry on poverty and death, Rilke writes, God give us each our own death, the dying that proceeds from each of our lives, the way we loved, the meanings we made, our need. You see, what Rilke writes so poignantly in this poem is the gift that is remembering and being given to our death. That's the gift of Ash Wednesday. It's the opportunity to consider how we are living now, the lives that precede our dying. The opportunity to pause, to be marked with ashes, to examine our lives, to evaluate the ways we loved, to measure the ways we've made meaning in life. In Rilke's words, the gift of being given over to our death is the opportunity to pause and examine our lives. And the first step to to beginning to live is to acknowledge death. And that's precisely what the church does on Ash Wednesday. And for followers of Jesus, this day and this process of being given over to our death is an invitation to repentance. Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent These are these times when, in light of our death, we are called to examine our lives and notice the things that need to be changed, the ways that we've sinned against God and against other people, the ways that we've not loved God or our neighbors as we should. In the prayer of confession that we recite every week, there's this line, we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. You see, attitudes of of mourning and repentance, these things have always been a part of the spiritual walk, of the spiritual growth of the people of God. Tonight's scripture reading comes from the prophet Joel. Joel lived some 2,800 years ago near the city of Jerusalem. And as the prophet, Joel served as the voice of God to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And this period in which Joel lived and served was marked by death and despair. Numerous crises faced the people. Their livelihood was on the verge of destruction by drought, famine, and pestilence. Their cities were about to be destroyed by foreign aggressors. Death and destruction were imminent for Joel and his people. And to make matters worse, rather than turn to God in their moment of need, the people had disregarded God altogether. They had forgotten the ways they were supposed to live, to live as the people of God. And so the word of God came to the prophet Joel, to the people of Jerusalem, saying, Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your hearts, with fasting, with weeping, and with sorrow. Tear your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, very patient, full of love, and ready to forgive. You see, amid impending death and destruction, Joel invited the people to reflect on their living and repent of the ways that they had failed to love God. You see, on Ash Wednesday, we're not only here to remember death. There's a season for that. There's there's a time for that. There's a necessity for that. But grieving and remembering death is only part of what we do today. Today, of all days, we pay attention to our brokenness, We acknowledge the ways that we failed to rightly order our love for God and our love for others. And we repent of those things. We repent in ashes. And in these words from Joel, we're reminded of the ancient truth, one that the people of God have proclaimed for a long, long time. We're reminded that God is merciful and compassionate, very patient, Full of faithful love and ready to forgive. Here tonight on Ash Wednesday, we come together as a community and we say, God, give us over to our death. Remind us of our own death so that we might live. To acknowledge the reality of death is to acknowledge our need for God, the one who has promised to give life and to make. All things new. The fires in Yellowstone raged throughout the fall months of 1988, and the outcomes seemed all but inevitable. This gem of the National Park Service would forever be changed. The death and destruction brought by the fire would permanently mark Yellowstone. And as the seasons changed, only the winter snow would slow the progress of the fire, eventually extinguishing the fire by the end of November. And there was this fear that future generations of visitors would no longer be able to see the wonder and beauty of Yellowstone. It was thought that all visitors would see would be charred and burned logs. Where towering lodgepole pines once stood, ashes would be all that remained. But Something else happened. I want you to take a look at this short video. You see, watchpole pines are unique. When faced with extreme heat, like that of a forest fire, only then do the pine cones begin to open and release their life-giving seed. Only when the tree is faced with death will new life come forth. Only in the destructive fires is new life born. The following spring, as the snow melted and the runoff filled the creeks and the rivers of Yellowstone, a whole new forest was born, one born from ashes and death. In a few moments, each of us will be marked with ashes. We will be reminded of our fragility. We will be told of our own death. From dust we were created and to dust we shall return. But as we are marked with ash, as we are reminded of our own finitude and our need for God, as we recognize our need for repentance, there's something new that springs forth. Even as we are given over to our death, we are reminded that God has promised to work something new in us. By remembering the fragility of life, we are reminded of our need for Jesus. By remembering our death, We are given the opportunity to live anew as people of God. God has promised to work something new in us, His people. Through the prophet Isaiah, God has reminded us of this Look, I'm doing a new thing. Now it sprouts up. Do you recognize it? God is working something new in us, His people. His forgiveness starts in us a new life. And today, as we begin our journey to Easter, we remember our death so that we might truly live. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, although we are only dust, you have shown us your love. You've promised to forgive the sins of all who are repentant. Create and make in us new and clean hearts. As we lament our sins, acknowledge our fragility, may we obtain the new life that you have given. God, you are merciful and compassionate, very patient, full of faithful love, and ready to forgive. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives, and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.